welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Do please be seated. Uh, This is a really special Sunday. Uh, and uh, if you don't normally come here, you've turned up on a great Sunday because you're going to see under the bonnet of this church, uh, we're going to do a little bit of family business. Um, the church is led uh, by really two teams. There is a team of trustees uh, chaired by Rachel Bauer, which just keeps us on, uh, you know, accountable to the Charity Commission for our money and our, you know, ethics and, you know, um, Rachel says keep us out, keeps us out of prison, the poor house and the papers. That's their job. And they do a phenomenal job. We, we, I cannot believe what quality of people we have on that, that, that board of directors. And then we have an eldership team. The eldership team meets every Monday night um, and sometimes in between. And our job is to lead the church spiritually and strategically in prayer, theology, pastoral care, and all the rest of it. And Sammy and I have the great privilege of heading that uh, team up. And uh, so on the eldership team, you, you have uh, Scott and Misty Bauer, and, uh, who are here somewhere, I think, and also uh, Bill Kuzak, who's the pastor of uh, this congregation. And um, a few people who, who sit in with that team. Jill Weber sits in with that team. Uh, and also Adam and Hannah Heather uh, for a number of years have been sitting in and giving their wisdom. And uh, we, we just love them. And, and um, we, we sense it's the right time to commission them as elders of the church. And this is not just like a little thing. This is a really big thing. Uh, we believe that with the laying on of hands and prayer, and we're all going to be part of this, that uh, you know, with a with a, with a, a pointing comes anointing. That something changes. There's a, a spiritual authority that comes, and so that's what we're going to be doing uh, together. And uh, we've invited Roger and Maggie Ellis to be with us for this because Roger is one of the uh, people who speaks into our church from outside, uh, holds us to account. Uh, if we were in another tradition, we'd probably call him our bishop. Uh, but he comes and gives us advice, and he works behind the scenes often with uh, our eldership team, and he's an advisor, and we respect and trust him. And we just thought, if, that, if Roger and Maggie are going to be with us to be part of the praying bit, then we wanted to get the best out of them. So I'm going to interview them quickly first, uh, and then we're going to pray. Is that all right? That's brilliant. Who did I just get a woo from? You are, Tim. You are so lovely. Let's have a round of applause for Tim Scott, shall we? Like, Tim, Tim's level of encouragement. He's even encouraging when we're doing this. So thank you, Tim. So uh, let's put our hands together for Roger and Maggie as they come on up. So, uh, Roger, Maggie, nice to Hello. see you. This is the third time we've actually done this, I'll be honest with you. We've just done it in Woking. We had to bypass the uh, Surrey Half Marathon. I think it would have been quicker to have run, but we, we, we've made it. Um, uh, Roger, first of all, we've known, 
Well, us three, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, when I was a, a student, um, sensing you know, I want to live for the Lord and sensing a call to church leadership, um, Roger uh, was the person who really shaped me up and discipled me and believed in me before anyone else did. And Maggie was doing the same with Sammy. You can see Maggie did a better job than Roger did. And... Um, Thanks for laughing. And some, uh, jobs are, some jobs are more straightforward than others. Yeah. And I, I gather that when, when Sammy and I finally got together, they, they raised a toast and said at last. So, uh, uh, so, so we owe these guys a great deal. And, and the, ch the church that Roger started uh, with Maggie, is called Revelation Church is where the 24-7 prayer movement began and various other things. Roger, just give us a little bit of a sense of uh, how you came to know Jesus and how you came to accidentally start a church. Yes, I come from uh, my, my parents, neither of my parents had faith. Well, my mum kind of believed, but you're very much a, just a normal family with no sort of God focus. And, and I'd kind of um, dropped out of education a bit. I didn't really see the point and was kind of a roving heavy metal freak. That's what I was into. The righteous music, you know, Rush, ACDC, Def Leppard, those sort of bands, you know. And that, you've got to realize this was way back, you know. Uh, and, uh, but, but I kind of, I got to the stage where I thought, yeah, there's got to be a purpose in life. There's got to be a destiny in life. There's got to be something more. Um, and at that particular time, I also contracted a glandular fever due to inappropriate snogging New Year's Eve. And, and I, I was stuck at home and I was reflecting on my life and what was going on. And there was a, a guy who would actually retired from the post office, who's gone to work at where I was working. And, you know, clearly he'd taken me on as a prayer project. I, I didn't realize. And I got this little package of books through the post. And I was kind of, you know, asking questions about God. And one of the books was a book called In Search of God by David Watson, which really looked at the kind of basics of the faith. And the other was a book that particularly fascinated me, which was written by a guy called Frank Morrison called Who Moved the Stone. And he is a lawyer who sets out in the first half of the book to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And then he has this experience halfway through where he, he thinks, wow, I've given verdicts in court on less evidence than this. He has a conversion experience that writes the second half of the book from a Christian angle. And that really, really impacted me. Um, and so I, I ended up... Giving my, giving my life to Christ, fell in love with Jesus at that time. And then I had an encounter where I, was, uh, I really encountered the presence of God. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that kind of turned everything around. And from that moment on, uh, I was just sharing my faith with anybody that moved or anybody that didn't. And you know, a lot of my friends fell victim to the gospel. And, and we kind of embarked on this mission of God together uh, to share faith uh, in, in the context of the Rock Society, which we had founded and um, so after a whole period of time, we kind of ended up with a kind of heavy metal-y type church, which was fun. Certainly built on the solid it foundation. It sounds absolutely appalling. It's a solid foundation of Jesus and proper music. It was great. I can actually imagine upon this rock and all this kind of stuff was happening, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. Terrible. Um, yeah. And, and so, so, so this, this church grew up and, and, uh, and has impacted a, a great many uh, people. And I know that you said that in the, those early days, the Holy Spirit was doing extraordinary things, really, wasn't, wasn't he amongst you? And you didn't sort of know what it was or whether it was happening anywhere else in the world. Just give us a sense of the excitement of well, that. We just 
you know, we just encountered the love and the grace of Jesus. And, and you know, we would worship and, and pray and you know, lots of times praying. Uh, many, many times in meetings, you know, people would try and run out the door. We have people trying to run out the door of the meeting because they were kind of convicted of God and, and getting paralyzed at the door. I mean, we were carrying them back in and, and like sort of praying for them. And then they kind of get and then they give their lives to Jesus. All sorts of people coming out of the occult. We actually had this person from this sort of occult kind of, well, it was a cult that worshipped the fire god, came into our prayer room and disrupted it. One of the girls, he said, well, we worship the fire god. And one of the girls said, not in here, you don't. And sort of showed him out the door. And then a week later, their house burned down, which is very strange. And actually, one of their, one of their cousins actually came to faith and is still part of the church now. So, so incredible stuff. And we were like, we'd never seen any of this. We kind of looked at the New Testament and thought, well, is it, is it that or isn't it? And, uh, and, and, and we probably started with a very small group of us, but probably in the first 18 months, around about 300 people came to Christ. I wish I could say they all stayed with the church, but virtually every drug dealer in Chichester had an encounter with the Spirit, which was interesting. So it was a very, very, uh, it was an amazing phase. Um, and then out of that, I mean, Margaret was the only person from a Christian family. <laughs> she was 18 at the time, so she was, her hands were quite full helping with disciple the new people. So it was a very interesting season, and then out of that, church planting, all sorts of different things came. And Ma Margaret, you fell in with this uh, rascal, and um, from your very sort of straight-laced uh, Christian upbringing, uh, daughter of Martin Elizabeth Goldsmith, who's spoken here, Martin Goldsmith and old Carthusian from Charterhouse down the road. And um, I think when I first met you, you were you know, leading a, a, a congregation of, of, of Revelation Church. And then one day you sort of announced that um, you were going to take quite a radical new direction in life. And we were all quite surprised. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, I just felt God... I was leading the church, as Pete says, and um, I just... I just felt God give me this heavy sense of you've got to get out there more. And although church is a beautiful thing, it's an amazing place to innovate, to learn, to learn about leadership, to learn about flowing in a spiritual dimension, um, healing, so many things. But I felt this push like you've got to get right into society. Not that the church isn't in society, but somehow there's, there's more. And so I started getting curious and saying to God, okay, so I'll, I'll do whatever you want, you know, but I need a people group. It's got to get a bit more practical and specific. And long story short, he laid on my heart that one in four women and one in eight men in our society suffer some form of sexual violation. And... I was singing the songs that we all do in church about God's heart, heart for the broken, for justice, going out into society. And I just thought, but we're not. There's this huge human rights atrocity going on in leafy Sussex, and no one's doing anything about it. So what do all these words mean in our songs? And so I just thought, right, I'm going to do something about it. So I 
I, at that point, I had a history degree, which is not very practical for anything much. Um, teaching qualification, and then a lot of years leading church. So I went and found a course, and the best course I could find was at Southampton University, and it was called Psychosexual Counselling and Therapy, and it had a whole term on sexual abuse. So I signed up for it, didn't quite know what I was letting myself in for, um, postgraduate qualification, um, but actually realised, you know what, if you start to bring... Um, quality, I hope, therapy into people's sexuality, you get to the core of who we are as human beings. Mm. Um, I want to I go a little bit deeper on this. You, so then you, you started a centre, you started a yeah. life, life centre. I'd love you just to tell us a bit about that. And, and, and mention too, there was a key prophetic word. And I, I think that mm. might help one or two people here that, that launched you in, in, into that next, yeah. uh, after doing a psychosexual training yeah so i'd felt all this stirring like I, i've described and then dale gentry a um, prophetic guy came to our church and he prophesied and he lots of different things but one of the things he prophesied he brought to the whole church so it wasn't to me personally and he said there's going to be a life center here where people get their lives back, they get their purity back, they get their virginity back, they get their families back. I see them coming broken and abused. And God says, Isaiah 61 is going to come to pass. They will get their lives back. I see it. It's not a little place in the corner. It's a mega place. That's me quoting it exactly. Verbatim. You've memorized that. I have that memorized because that. You've that was 98. Lived it and you've prayed it. Absolutely. We have it on the walls in all of our centres so that everybody coming to visit can see it. Um, how, and many, how many centres are there? Uh, there's now about four. Four. Chichester, Worthing, and two in Crawley. Okay. And I just, as he spoke those words, it just went into me like a lightning bolts and I just broke down and I said God I'll do that for you I'll, I'll take it I'll take it on so I did my training and then of course I knew I couldn't do it single-handed so I went to the church and I said come on who's going to come and do this with me by then I volunteered at the Portsmouth rape crisis for a couple of years to learn I was doing my psychosexual training I trained in general counseling as well so I had a few qualifications up my sleeve and just got a team of people in the church, started training them. Then we set up a helpline because we thought, let's start really small, something really practical. Let's not bite off more than we can chew. So we started just with a telephone helpline. Then we built it, added face-to-face -face counseling. And now, so we opened in 2001. Now today, I am humbled and awed to say that we have had over 6,500 people come to us for face-to-face -face counselling, wow. which is just a beautiful thing. And you see wow. those people come, just like the prophecy said, completely in despair, completely crushed and broken, but their dignity restored, their lives restored, and finding hope again. And that's one in nine of those people are men. And we extended to work with children two years later. So now we work right down to the youngest age child once they become verbal we can do play therapy with them wow 
So it's an incredible privilege. Over 15,000 people have contacted the helplines. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking as well yeah, as... Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank, I, I mean, I do want to say, I find it extraordinary to hear your stories juxtaposed, funnily enough, because um, Maggie, was it only last year? When was the Me Too mo movement that first sort of bubbled? Was that last year? Uh, you know, now it's sort of, you can never pick up a newspaper without something around that narrative. And yet back in 2001, in yeah. obedience to God, an inner leading, uh, practical training, and a prophecy that wasn't even for you, you just yeah. grabbed hold of it. You, you, you say you're ahead of the curve. You were way ahead of the curve. Well, God is. God yeah. is. My prayer is God... People in society send up SOS prayers all the time. People pray when they're in danger. We know that from black boxes. So I've started to say to God, what are the SOS prayers you hear in heaven? Mm. Because those are the ones that we need to respond That's to as good. a church. So God knows what's going on in society, even if society won't talk about yeah. it. And it's the SOS prayers. So let's get in on those. So, yeah, so it may be that God's speaking to someone here, something's beginning to stir in, in you, maybe a, a change of direction, that, that the Lord is beginning to call you to respond to those SOS prayers, and maybe a long road, it may be that you've not had a specific prophecy, but you can grab someone else's prophecy, <laughs> that works, the word of the Lord keeps getting fulfilled, right? And it may involve some retraining, but I just want to encourage you, and it may be that the Lord calls you into something that in 15 years' time, everyone is talking about. But he, you know, the church, I think we often think is behind the curve, but sometimes I think we can be ahead of it. And Rog, you too, you know, you started church planting because you didn't just plant that one church, you planted a bunch of churches way before anyone in this country was doing it. Uh, the Anglicans certainly weren't doing it. Vineyard wasn't planted. No, no one was planting back then. And so thank you, both of you, for pioneering and paying the price of that behind the scenes over all these years and, and for your obedience to the Holy Spirit. And I also want to say you know, we've been friends for probably 25 years or something, and I know you often hear a narrative in church particularly that all relationships all go wrong and people divide. I want to say it ain't necessarily so. Uh, we, we've been friends for a long time. And my experience is actually when you do the Jesus thing, you apologize and you forgive and, and all the rest of it, that you can, you can stay friends for life. And it's an incredibly precious thing. And for me, it's very valuable that, that one of the people who oversees this church is someone who uh, has no illusions about me, for sure, because he's seen the best and the worst, uh, and, and someone that uh, I trust profoundly. It's not just some structural position that someone's fulfilling, but this is a real relationship. I think that's incredibly biblical and valuable. So, um, Rog, as that you know, dude who, who, who speaks into the church and, and, and you know, challenges us and advises us, just this seems like an opportunity. Is there anything you want to share with us today? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really exciting to kind of just be that one step removed and see how Emmaus has grown over the last few years. It's just incredibly exciting. It's a very short period of time, and it really has been exponential. And there's so much joy in all of that, but also challenges and stretching and all of that. But I just want to encourage you that, you know, 
this thing that you're part of, it's a real privilege to be part of because God is doing something very special through you as a church and through you as a community. And um, when I was praying, I, I had a picture of this figure. I don't know whether it was an angelic figure or whether it was the Lord. And actually, in each palm had this sort of golden radiating sort of ball of energy, ball of light, one in each palm. And I felt that um, these were the two secrets of Emmaus's growth and life. And, you know, and I thought, oh, how exciting. I'm going to know what they are. And then, and then I really felt God say, well, you know, these are, these are too deep and mysterious for you to know. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I thought, thank you very much. What's the point of the picture? And, and I, 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 felt that, I felt God say, well, look, there's loads of, loads of people. You might even have your own ideas. There's loads of people say, well, you know, what's happening at Emmaus is because of this, it's because of that, it's because of this dimension, this demographic, these leaders, these kind of things. There's all these theories that people will have as, as to why... God's blessing is upon you and how you've managed to grow and all of that. And, and actually, well, some of those things may have some truth in them, but really that isn't the truth. The, the truth is that, that God uh, ha, is really involved with you at a really kind of deep and spiritual level, investing in who you are. And actually, the, the answer is, is far, far deeper than that in terms of God's grace and God's favor of God's hand that is upon you and you're, you're just cooperating and going with the tide that, that God is moving and God is moving with you and growing you and I think the what I would want to encourage all of you is to, to, is to whether you're new to the church you're only just arriving whether you've been around for a while whether you're up to your neck in volunteering or you're just beginning to volunteer whether you whether you're giving a lot of your time and energy and resources or you're just beginning to get up to that I would just encourage each of you to, to really nurture and love and pray for and care for this, this precious thing that God is doing through this church and through this community here. These two precious kind of balls of life that are growing have been given to you as a community and, and you nurture that through your prayers, through your love, through your commitment. And I think if you do that as a community, you can, you can go for the long haul. Uh, you can you can go you know over the hilltops through the valleys and see see God's kingdom flourish more and more through your life. But uh, make the most of it. Don't take it for granted. Nurture it gently and lovingly. And uh, you'll you'll uh, I mean 37 years I realised that I've been <laughs> leading and planting and you know postling or whatever you call it. Uh, it's great. I love the church. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Rog. And just quickly, because we want to get Adam and Hannah up. Maggie, um, you've got another string to your bow, which yeah. is that you, you um, work with businesses at board level all around the, the world, coaching, organizational change, and so on. Just talk to us a little bit about how on earth do we link kind of what happens here on Sunday morning with the Monday, Monday morning reality. For mo most people here, um, many in senior leadership positions in their own businesses, ha what, what are some of the kingdom principles that uh, as you go from here to, you know, what I, I'm not allowed to name any of the businesses I'm told that you work with, but very famous ones. What, what are some of the principles that translate? Yeah, a huge question. So, 
Um, I handed over Life Centre, by the way, in 2017, in case you think I'm working way too hard. <laughs> um, and I had been doing business work alongside. I now only do business work partly through my own business, but also as a senior affiliate with McKinsey. And, you know, we... So what we do in different shapes and forms is... Um, develop leadership, real top quality leadership. And here we are today, appointing leadership. Leadership is incredibly important to the health of an organization. So it's really looking at what are the constituents are that make really brilliant, healthy leadership that enable the whole organization to be at peak performance. And part of that is to do with team. It's not individualistic. And whilst we're praying for um, the Heathers today, it may seem individualistic about them. And it is and it isn't. Because the team dynamic of how we work together is fundamental to what gets achieved and to the flourishing, the how it gets achieved and the what gets achieved. And the biblical concepts, if you were to kind of deconstruct the Bible in terms of what are the key concepts that are part of our Christian faith, are absolutely life-giving to top-quality leadership and top-quality interpersonal relationships, which we call team and flowing together. Now, in this short time I haven't got time to kind of give all the examples but just go home and start to reflect on what are our core concepts you know things like speaking the truth in love having the difficult conversations that just in and of itself is where a huge amount of businesses unravel Concepts like repentance, core to our gospel and our faith. They're not just relevant personally as we worship Jesus here this morning. They are also completely fundamental to how do we transition the culture of an organization? And how do we handle our leadership? Do we have the ability to have the humility to let go of stuff, which is repentance, and step into something more life-giving. And the process of that letting go and stepping into is a mindset change, a emotion change. There's so much if you start to deconstruct what is in, we just use this word repentance. How do we bring that into a, the living culture, the living way we act together in our workplaces? And that's just fabulous. And so you could go on. You know the gospel brings souls alive. How do we bring soul back into the workplace? That's beautiful. I just sensed as Maggie was speaking, there's someone here that something leapt in your heart as she was sharing some of those principles because you were like, oh my goodness, why hadn't I seen that what happens here really does relate there? And, and I think that there's someone here, the Lord is actually 
calling you into the marketplace. There's a new sense of commissioning. We talked about a more obvious kind of calling, you know, going and caring for survivors of, of sexual violence, kind of an obvious, you know, social justice outworking. But some of you, there is a fresh calling into the world of business. And it's really, really tough, as you know, to translate the kingdom values, the Beatitudes and all the rest of it into your work environment. But there's something leapt inside you and it's the spirit of God is just saying, this is where I've put you. And it's going to be way more challenging, way more demanding, way more exciting than you have been thinking. So I don't know who that's for, but I thought I'd throw that out there. May I say yeah. one thing that I do believe is prophetic, yeah. um, which is, you know, 24-7 stands for prayer, mission, justice. We know that that's in our ethos mm. and our values. The, and we know, I know you're well taught here, we know that the gospel is to the poor. It's perhaps easier to see that message when I talk about what I did with Life Centre, what we did there, because it's more overt that it's people who are in that poverty and that brokenness. What I believe prophetically God wants to just speak in simplicity to you is the Beatitudes. It's the poor in spirit. And sometimes that's poor economically. And very often there's reasons behind that economic poorness that is even deeper. And we saw that all the time at Life Centre. And sometimes people are not at all poor economically. They are at the richest end of the world. And they are still the poor that God weeps over and breaks over because they are poor in spirit. And I believe there's an anointing here that God says, who's going to grab? that he will give you an uh, incredible anointing. Anointing means there will be multiplication way beyond anything you can do personally. There's an anointing, if you step into it, that will bring the gospel to the poor. Wow. Wow. And I encourage you to ask God, who are the poor mm. that you are opening up for me? So good. Because you can't reach everybody you can't do everything so good know who you're called to and go for it without shame and if those are the richest and the most powerful in this land that's not lesser than those who are the poorest economically so good thank you maggie i feel like we should go straight to response we've got stuff we've got to do um, it'd be great to have Adam and Hannah just come up here now. And just as they're coming up, let me just say, if some of what Maggie shared about business and the workplace uh, is provoking thoughts, uh, I just want to let you know, after Easter, we've got a guy called Ken Costa who's coming to speak at all of our services. He's chairman of Lazard's and, and, and uh, Warburg's Bank, I think. And uh, he's the government special envoy Saudi Arabia, which is not without its challenges. And... Uh, he, as well as speaking, we're going to do a God at Work workshop in the afternoon. Um, not, we absolutely aren't wanting to take anyone out of the precious family time, but actually to just take an hour or two with someone who really, really, really does know what they're talking about and get some conversation around that we thought might be useful. So that's coming up just after Easter. Right, let's stand uh, together. Uh, let's everyone stand, show if you're able to do so. Adam and Hannah, come on through. Um, this is a very ancient thing. Uh, eldership, this goes right back to the be uh, beginnings of, uh, of the church, and um, 
In just a moment, we're we're, going to pray for these guys, but we thought it would be great to hear from Adam and Hannah themselves first. So, and Thea, of course, if she wants to share anything. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, just basically to share what an honor it is to be stepping into this role in this church. I think for us, for me, uh, Emmaus has been my church family, my family for the best part of a decade now. And it's seen a lot of changes in that time. When I started, we were still kind of a couple of hundred in the back room of a pub. And now kind of here we are, different sites and congregations and thousands of people. But I remember I joined at Emmaus at a time in my life where I'd just finished uni. I'd done some church leadership training. And I was in that moment where I'm deciding, where am I going to put down roots? And I was reading C.S. Lewis, and this quote stuck out to me. And to paraphrase, basically what he said in a more eloquent way was, spend as much time thinking about who you do life with as to what you're going to do with your life. And it marked me in that moment. And then I found my feet here in Emmaus, and I fell in love with the church. And that didn't mean the structure or any of that stuff. What it meant was the people. I fell in love with the people that I met here and their kindness and their passion and their calling and their zeal for God. I am... I remember a lot of people here I know have heard of Alan Scott and read his book, Scattered Servants. If you haven't heard of him, he's this amazing church leader in Northern Ireland. <laughs> and um, he, uh, he um, was seeing thousands of people get saved. But I, uh, I had the privilege of, uh, <laughs> this privilege of, um, of speaking to him a few years ago. And I asked him, Alan, if you were to start again, what would you do? What would you look for? And he said, that's really simple. I'd look for hunger. I'd look for hunger. And I am... Um, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, the truth is you can find lots of people who believe what you believe, but it's a different thing to find people who are hungry for what you're hungry for. And in Emmaus, I found hunger for the things that I was hungry for. Not just trying to run a great church service and be this cloister community, but to see a region change with the good news of Jesus. And so 10 years I stuck around because I decided that's what I wanted my life to be marked by. The good news of what we hear, heard today of people finding family and finding wholeness and healing. And so if this is your first Sunday, sorry, it's a little bit of a strange one. But if you're interested in a place where they want to see the good news come, where people believe the best and love the best and call out the best in you, then I I suggest you keep coming next Sunday. So, Hannah, do you want to share anything? Um, Yeah, just we are really humbled and really grateful for your trust in us as we step into this new position. And I think we feel a lot of excitement and a lot of joy um, about stepping into this role as elders. But we also feel the gravity of that and the commitment that we are standing here and making to you guys today. Um, When I was 17, I left school and went off on a gap year to South Africa. And two months into my time there, I got a letter through my door, all the way from Little Bangor, County Down, Northern Ireland. And it was a two-page handwritten letter from the elders of my church back at home to say that they were praying for me to write words of encouragement and they had just met together for their elders meeting and took the time to write this letter and and encourage me and I saw 
with my own eyes the gravity with which they committed to us as a church. And, and so that's how we want to step into this season as elders. I know it looks different in a church of this scale, but we are here to give our lives to you guys as best we possibly can to see Jesus glorified and to see people come to know him all across this area. So thank you so much for your trust in us. And we love you guys and we feel very, very humbled and honored to be doing this role. Brilliant. It'd be great to get, I think we've got some of the other elders and trustees here. Come, come and invade the stage if that's, if that's you. Um, and uh, we, we, we've just, we've got a, a simple sort of liturgical moment uh, that was going to come up on the screen. So we're all going to join in on this. Um, I think Misty is going to lead us forward. So uh, Misty, come, come on so people can see you. Yeah, you, you asked the question. Hey. <laughs> so I've got some questions for you, and hopefully you'll answer, I will. And then I've got a question for all of us, and we are going to answer, we do. Simple, huh? Will you be faithful elders, watching over this church, providing for our worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in governing bodies of the church and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? I will. <laughs> Do we, the members of the church, accept Adam and Hannah as elders, chosen by God to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? We do. Let's pray for them, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your calling. Thank you, Lord, that you come to us, uh, you raise us up, uh, you set us apart. And thank you, Lord, for every single thing you call us to do, you equip us. And we want to pray, Lord, for your equipping right now for Adam and Hannah, that your anointing will come upon them, that by your Holy Spirit, that you will give them the wisdom they need, you will give them the power they need, you will give them the strength that they need, the energy that they need, and we pray that uh, just your grace will come upon them, spirit, soul, and body, a real grace, a real equipping, a real sense of your power. We pray that the fire of your spirit will burn in their hearts and will enable them to more than fulfill everything that lays before them. We thank you for them. Thank you that they're, they're beautiful people. They're committed to you. They've opened their hearts to you. And we just want to affirm them. We love them. We believe in them. And we want to pray that over them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Adam and Hannah, you are now elders in the church of Jesus and for this particular church. Be faithful and true in your ministry so that your whole life will bear witness to the crucified and risen Christ. And now we're all going to pray together this prayer. Gracious God, pour out your spirit of power and truth upon Adam and Hannah that we may be for you a holy people baptized to serve you in the world. 
sustain them in their ministry. Ground us in the gospel. Secure our hope in Christ. Strengthen our service to the outcast and increase our love for one another. Show us the transforming power of your grace in our life together that we may be servants of the gospel, offering a compelling witness in the world to the good news of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And a round of applause, please. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Adam and Hannah.